All right, everyone. So this is unedited because I don't put that kind of time into this um, podcast. So <laughs> here we are with uh, our tradition study, and which I have been really enjoying. I think we've got a great little trio uh, with Alice and Megan. And this week we are on uh, tradition three, which um, let me just read it really quickly before we do our uh the only requirement for AA membership or OA membership is a desire to stop drinking compulsively, overeating, whatever. So um, I think we started with you last time, Megan. Uh, did you guys listen to the speaker thing? Yeah. The talk? Okay. So Alice, what did you think of the speaker? Uh, it was, it was, um, thumbs up thumbs down um i'll say sideways again i keep doing that um it was a test in patience and open-mindedness because i had to believe if they had him speak on the tradition that there was going to be something in there that i needed to hear Mm. and uh eventually did but it it took a while i I, I had to stick with it so yeah megan uh sorry dog sounds <laughs> um yeah I have exactly the same thoughts like I was really I I've been really trying to withhold my judgment and there was a part in the beginning of the recording where he was basically like making fun of a compulsive overeater and uh, yeah. was like you know I was like what is this <laughs> right um you know and but then it does you do he like it does get it did, I remember it got better and you do see what he is, is sort of talking about um, right towards the end and yeah so I I'll give it a sideways uh, okay thumb, uh, yeah yeah I think we're gonna hit a lot of sideways scores with this um okay so then uh just in general um in terms of studying or thinking about this tradition what are your thoughts reflections um i can go i really like this tradition this is probably one of my favorite traditions and i thought it was really just interesting in general that the reading in both of the 12 and 12s and then the um speaker that we listened to Mm -hmm. the content of the tradition and the way that they interpreted it was very different and it had i think it has to do with sort of the history of AA and like the different fellowships. And even though like we all have very similar diseases, there's they're different diseases, compulsive overeating and alcoholism are, are different. And so I just, I thought that, that was interesting to, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to see that it's, I think the, tw- the 12 and 12, there's so much like, yeah, there's so much room for interpretation. So it was interesting to see how the, yeah. the differences in that. Alice. Um, so the the spiritual principle for this is identity. And when I first read that, I was like, what does that mean? Um, then the speaker talked about it and it's in here that I I get to decide if I'm a member or not. Nobody else can. Right. And in the reading talks about how the, the groups have to 
protect their members from violence or harassment. But even those people can't be barred from meetings, right? right? They get the little talking to and, you know, everybody's character defects are different. And it's, uh, again, patience and compassion to give them the time to be able to trust people enough to not be disruptive or, you know, because I've, you know, it's a coping mechanism they're not ready to let go of yet. Well, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting, because again, I read the AA, then the Al-Anon, and then the OA, because chronologically, they were written at different times. And, um, and it's interesting to read the AA one, where, again, they even talk about how um, they were, you know, terrified for their own lives, because they had something that was working that had never worked before. And so, you know, they were very strict about like, um, uh, we were resolved to admit nobody to AA, but that hypothetical class of people we termed pure alcoholics, except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. So beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots and fallen women we're definitely out. (laughs) Yeah. I noticed that too, that the fallen women part, the fallen women, you know, and also that, um, you know, and others would surely just, besides if we took in those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? Right. And then, you know, and then it says, you know, you may think that we're being really intolerant, but you have to, Bill's writing this, you have to remember, like, this was, knew, you know, and they were terrified of losing their sobriety. And then um, I like how their thinking eventually got them to, well, wait a minute, you know, if we turn someone away, we're condemning them to death. Like they finally got to that place of like, oh, wait a minute we have a solution to their alcoholism. Their alcoholism is going to kill them. And yet we're turning them away. So do you guys have any thoughts on that? Just in the sort of origin of the third tradition? Yeah. I mean, I think it, what I read in there, the, the um, pure and respectable alcoholics, and this is something that I, I notice a lot in the AA literature is like, there is some grandiosity to that. Like most alcoholics are more intelligent than most or something you know, <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like, and well, only alcoholics say that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, you know, it's, it's all always stories about like the, the respectable businessmen and the, the examples they use are for like from the corporate world and stuff like right. that. And it seems, yeah, like there's a lot of sort of like, clinging this clinging on to respectability um at least in the early days uh around the disease and I think I like the part where it says intolerant you say well we were frightened yeah um naturally we began to act like most everybody does when afraid after all isn't fear the true basis of intolerance yes we were intolerant and yeah I I think it's an interesting tradition in that way that they, what they came to is that 
no one, like there are no gatekeepers for any of the 12 step programs. You know, no one can say that you're not either alcoholic enough or too far gone, you know, to be in AA or OA or any of the programs. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too, that, that so great was the sum of our anxiety and fear that they, they came, up, came up with the list of protective regulations, like, and then, but the, at the beginning, it says, we just want to be sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we've had. So right. they realized, well, we can't really do that. So... The other thing that I thought was really interesting, and this was in my illustrated guide, I think, is that, um, you know, when Bill started writing these traditions, he reached out to every group and asked them what their requirements were um, to be a member of that group. And when he compiled them all from all the different groups, it would exclude everyone, you know, like... <laughs> No one would be able to, you know, because this group excluded, this group excluded that. So I thought that that was also interesting. And then I also just want to comment. I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but I was struck too in listening to Megan talk about, you know, this like alcoholics are really smart or alcoholics, you know, the grandiosity thing. Now, granted, there is the um, inflated ego of al alcoholics. And I, I get that. Um, for some alcoholics, we could say, or certainly that, you know, this AA, but I was also thinking about, um, you know, the stereotype of the, of an alcoholic being a bum, you know what I mean? Or, you know, the, the town drunk, the town drunk, like the stupid, whatever. And it could, you know, and again, this is about taking something out of context, you know, and I remember learning that the word trudge as we trudge the road of happy destiny, like now we, that word has come to mean like it's laborious. Well, I don't know if this is true, but someone told me that at the time in the thirties trudge meant to walk with determined purpose. That was yeah. what you did. You trudged mm -hmm. the road, you know what I mean? So again, it's interesting. That's different. Um, and then also in the AA version the other thing that's really interesting is how uh, they use the atheist um, and like wanting to get rid of the atheist because the atheist just was, and much to their dismay, the atheist was staying sober mm. and kept going around and wanting to, um, you know, be like, you know, you don't need the God bit. You just need this part, you know? So what I think is they use that story and then at the end, the atheist gets drunk and then they welcome the atheist back. Comments, thoughts? You have to, believe to remember God. that. Right, I know. I was just like, it's interesting like how far we've come that it's like they use this atheist as, mm -hmm. you know, there he is rabble rousing, you know, atheism. And people are going up to Bill and being like, can we get rid of this guy? And Bill's like, no, we can't, you know? And then he stops going to meetings and then he gets drunk and comes back. And they, 
they don't actually, they do kind of say, he says, you know, when the guy's telling a story, he says, as he tossed on his bed, his hand brushed the bureau nearby, touching a book, opening the book he read, it was a Gideon Bible. Ed never confided any more of what he saw and felt in that hotel room. He hasn't had a drink since. I don't know. So it was just kind of, I thought, that's kind of a fucked up story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if, yeah, if you are atheist, shut up about it. If you <laughs> want to be part yeah, of Yeah, we're not going to kick you out, but here's a warning story. Like we won't kick right. you out, but you will eventually be forced to find God. Right. Yeah. I had someone's question that, and I think it was a big book study or something, but they were really, they were rallying against this idea that atheists are welcome because she said, if you really read it, it's saying stay here long enough and you'll find God and then you'll be good. It's not saying that I can do this without finding God. Right. But I, yeah, somebody spoke at the convention this last weekend talking about how um it, he does he's like a agnostic atheist or an atheist that, uh, yeah um something like that but that um he he believes in the in the notion that who is who am i to say there's no god right right just what what do i believe and his uh, sponsor said, is, is there something you believe in that's more important than you? And that started him on his journey to find his definition of a higher power. I right. thought that was a good one, but that's, I digress. But. Yeah. So back to, you know, that the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop whatever. I think, um, I know for me as a young person with a huge chip on my shoulder and with all of the distrust in the world, that that was absolutely fundamentally one of the reasons why I stayed because no one had the authority to decide if I was a member or not. No one could take that away from me. No one, you know, the group couldn't turn on me and say, you're not welcome here. We don't like you. You know, and so whether you liked me in the meeting or not, I didn't give a fuck. I was like, well, I have a right to be here. I I mean, I did, you know, because I was used to rubbing people the wrong way and people not liking me. I was like, yeah, I'm used to it. But guess what? You have no authority to kick me out. And that gave me a real sense of safety. So. Megan, what about you? Any experience there on that? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we could move to one of the other books now. I think yeah. the the part that I thought, or the interpretation that's so much, that's so different in the OA 12 and 12, and the reason why it's different, or I, you now I can't, of course, find, uh, oh, okay, so in the, the OA 12 and 12, it says, uh, nor is it a membership requirement to have a common experience with the disease of compulsive eating. Some of us have been on many diets, while other of us have not dieted at all. Some of us have binged, and some of us didn't. 
Some of us fasted, some of us purged by various methods. We count among our members those who have been eating compulsively since childhood and those have who have never had problems with food until their retirement years. And I think in OA, this tradition is like so important because every manifestation of our food disease is, is different. You know, it's different. So I've definitely had the experience of being in meetings. And I, I think I, I was pretty good at, at feeling home. Like I was home in OA right. uh, pretty immediately because I am primarily a compulsive overeater. Um, but I've been in like, you know, AB focused meetings where I'm like, should I be here? I'm not sure. Or uh, Nicole, you've probably had the experience of being at the queer focused meetings and I am, I'm not queer, um, but I was always welcome there and I always yeah. felt very home there um, in San Francisco. So yeah, just the idea that like, no, you know, no one can say that your disease is not bad enough or not the right kind of iteration to get help in yeah. that program. Yeah. Alice. Yeah. I had a little different experience when I first started, it took me a long time to find my people as far as anorexic bulimic. And I did have people come up to me and ask me why I was there. Cause clearly I didn't have an issue with food. Oh, cause you, you weren't big. Right. Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah. um, so I had to fight for my, I call it fighting for my recovery when I first started. I mean, things are different now. I mean, when I started anorexic bulimic was considered an outside issue. Yeah. They wow. wouldn't even let you have special focus meetings. And so we had to fight for that too. And that, mm. yeah. So th things are different now, whereas it's, it's, you know, it's in all the literature. They added the compulsive food behaviors part, mm. you know, and that was a big, you know, struggle to get things like that. How did you survive in the beginning? Uh, Tell in us, the Grandma, about the time that. I I went to a lot of meetings. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting because it was the large meeting where I thought it would be the safest is where people would single me out and say, what are you doing here? Right. The smaller meetings. Right. You know, you when there's time for everyone to share, they understand the struggle is the same that the that the deep hole you're trying to fill is the same. Right. Regardless of how you acted out. So. But uh, eventually, you know, someone came up to me in a meeting, you identified and then we found, you know, somehow we just found each other and there were like, we, there were two of us and then suddenly there were like 10 of us and then, you know, right. this was in Silicon Valley. So, yeah. Then we started a women's meeting, which, yeah was kind of code for anorexic bulimic because we all kind of had those issues. So, so it was good. Wow. Yeah. So I want to go back a step being the historian. Um, so we have the AA, you know, where it's, um, you know, we were fighting for, you know, so again, the history of okay, we got to do these traditions, you know, these other meetings are doing these requirements that if you added them all together, no one could get in. So it's like, what, what's the requirement? What makes you a member? Okay. If you decide you're a member, 
you know, so again, the AA was kind of spoke to that. What I thought was really interesting is, is that the next set of traditions, and I do want to get me personally to the OA, but in between the AA and the OA is the Al-Anon. And Al-Anon adds a preface to their tradition three. The relatives of alcoholics, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Al-Anon family group, provided that as a group, they have no other affiliation. The only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. So I thought that's kind of interesting. And then when you read it, um, you know, there was, you know, after the birth of AA, all of these hospitals, you know, all of these institutions and eventually treatment centers and therapies and whatever. Um, and so it's interesting that in terms of being a member, you know, that they add this preface of, you know, in order for you to be a member of Al-Anon, you have to first make sure you're going to a group that has no other affiliation. I just thought that that was a kind of, that's what I mean around reading the, how the traditions were written at different times and sort of speaking to different issues. So jumping ahead, you know, then you've got the OA where it's like, okay, AA, everyone, the, the, the substance is alcohol, right? There's one behavior, you imbibe it, period, you know? And then Al-Anon, friends and family of alcoholics, as long as you're not part of a hospital institution, then you go to OA and it's like, okay, we're not AA. With our substance, food, people can have a variety of um, food behaviors, which then it's interesting too, because historically now the writing is written during a time of where multiculturalism is, is part of the ethos. And so this idea that there could be many different types of something. So I just really find the evolution of the traditions even fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. I was talking to a, an Al-Anon fellow a couple of weeks ago, or maybe we were, we were in a meeting and she said that this, tradition when it comes and she's like an yeah Al-Anon person that if there is no desire to stop whatever behavior it is then it actually precludes all of the other traditions and steps that without this tradition without the desire to stop whatever it is that you're doing nothing else really matters right um yeah <laughs> that's true yeah. That's absolutely true. If you don't want to quit. Right. You know, so yeah. Alice, do you have any thoughts or comments on? Yeah. About the wanting to quit part. Um, so uh, Bryant, the one that spoke in the recording talked about an honest desire. His, his sponsor asked him, do you have an honest desire to stop drinking? And what I've heard is that originally the language said honest desire and then they got rid of the honest part mm -hmm. because maybe you come to the honesty later, but, um, but I've, I ask sponsees that, do you have an honest desire to work the steps and, you know, arrest your, mm -hmm. whatever your behaviors are 
Um, and it really, it helps a lot for them to really reflect on, am I really ready? Right. The whole step zero thing. Like, mm -hmm. um, if you're willing to go to any lengths, then yeah. you're ready yeah. to take certain steps. If you want what we have. Right. And are willing to go to any lengths, you know, it's a two part right. clause there in step zero. So, yep, yeah, definitely. But yeah, that, yeah. that, that honest before desire really helped me a lot when I first started to really think about what I was, well, I knew I couldn't keep going, keep going, but to admit to myself, am I feeling courageous enough to put down everything I've used to cope with my life up to this point and just trust that this is going to work because mm -hmm. that's basically what they're asking me to do you know for the last before i got see before i got in program that was probably like 18 years so the last 18 years of my life this is how i have survived and dealt with all that stuff before mm -hmm. and now you're telling me okay you just gotta stop i'm like well sorry <laughs> how do i get out of bed how do i get dressed how do you know it's just yeah, like yeah. it was like ah you know, and so I really, that's why it, it took me six months working with a sponsor through the steps to find lasting abstinence. Mm -hmm. That's why I keep breaking my abstinence and my sponsor said, you know what? You don't have lasting abstinence yet, yet, right? Right. Starts with hours, maybe minutes to hours to 24 hours. And uh, she finally said, you, you have to stop counting. Give me your date. I'll keep it for you. Because I would get to what I would, you know, like 30, like 29 days. Right. And I could not get myself to 30 or 31. Like something my, like my disease was like holding on for dear life at that point for some reason. I don't know why it was the month mark, but yeah. Once I was able to let go of that and not, you know, not worry about crossing that line that. I don't know if I thought it was a finish line or whatever. Then yeah. it, it took that pressure off and it, that that went away. It's really weird how that worked. But. So are you saying that you moved to an honest desire? Yeah, I think so. Well, honesty was an issue for me to start with. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, that was a... Yeah. I mean, my, I mean, there is that saying, come for the vanity, stay for the sanity. Yeah. 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 I like well, I, mine, I was there for the, I needed the sanity because my, mm -hmm. I just couldn't, I was in that spot where I couldn't do it anymore. My body was failing me. It was, it was ugly. I'm not going to describe all that. Yeah. <laughs> I right. couldn't do it anymore and I couldn't stop. It's completely insane. Yeah. That whole, I'm going to wake oh, up. Wow. Today's the day. I'm not going to do it. And then something went, there was a movie that where this guy talks about this, where something would happen or nothing would happen. Right. Be right back into it. I'm like, I exactly what that is. Right. That yeah, incomprehensible just, demoralization. Yeah. Megan, what about you? Any thoughts on the honest desire or? Knowing that that was the original wording and I, I'm trying to think like, did I have an honest desire to stop eating compulsively when I came in? I did. And I say, yeah, I'm going to say like, I, 
I, I had no idea what was in store for me. Like I, I, I wanted to stop feeling so crappy about myself all the time. And I wanted to lose weight. Um, but I, I did not know what would be required (laughs) of this program. Um, but which is a good thing, I think. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I probably would have ran for the hills, but I, I've also never left and was desperate enough that I was willing to do whatever anyone said. Like I had a lot of willingness and I have just, I have found that my disease, like my disease is one of like, is just like cunning, baffling and manipulative and still finds ways to be compulsive to this day, like finds every possible loophole that there could ever possibly be. (laughs) And like, I wish I, you know, I wish I was completely free of it, but I, you know, that's just the incarnation of of my disease. Yeah. Um, And I'm certainly glad that I'm not binging every single day and I know that I have the life today that I have because I'm not doing that you know and because I'm showing up for my life so well I think also I like that it was even if it's a desire or honest desire it wasn't you know the only requirement for membership is that you demonstrate you have the ability to stop you know what I mean like I would have been fucked yeah so I like how I you know it's no secret that Hani is my favorite speaker and the only woman I would, aside from my sponsor, asked to sponsor me. And, and I identified with how she felt. She was not happy. She knew it was her destiny, but she was not happy to be there. And that's exactly how I felt. I knew I was exactly where I needed to be and that I wasn't going to leave and that I was suddenly on this train, but I was not happy about it. I did it. I did everything, but I was like, I was terrified. And I have a comment on the 30 days, which is that, cause I've come across this a lot. I don't know if it was for me, but I do know that for me, the 30 days was like, Oh my God, this might actually happen. And that was where, you know, it's almost like if you're, if you have a, a I always, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, doesn't matter. Think of whatever you want. Like that toxic relationship where you're like, no, I'm, we're breaking up this time and I mean it. And they're, you know, and either one of you would be like, they're going to call me in three weeks. Right. You know it, you know that because that's been the pattern. And then all of a sudden it's four weeks, you know, and it's like, oh my God, I think she's really going to leave me or he's really going to leave me. This is really going to stop, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And that's when they're going to call you, you know, it's like, are you sure you really want to do this? And, you know, that's why it's like, you know, 90 meetings in 90 days in the beginning, at least, you know? So, because I do think like, it is like, oh my God, this is working. And then this yeah, fear that it's working. Yeah. I call it the death rattle of the disease. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that I had that, but I've, I've had so many sponsees where it's like, it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Call it the pain for pain, mm-hmm. you know, but one pain will end and the other pain will just keep getting worse. 
So the other thing I just wanted, I just kind of want to review my notes a little bit. So, you know, I have in AA that it was, you know, to make sure that was the realization that to say no to anyone was to sentence them to death, right? So it's like, okay, we, if they say they're a member, they're a member. Al-Anon, you know, they add that preface, you know, provided that you have no other affiliation. You don't claim that you're, you know, that, so basically I like, like, if I am a doctor in a treatment center, when I go to an Al-Anon meeting, I have to put down my doctor hat, my treatment center. I can, I, if I'm going to claim my membership in Al-Anon, I am only connected to Al-Anon. So that piece, um, so I wrote, and also that they talked about in the tradition three, that some, some topics are quote, better addressed in therapy. So again, they're starting to talk about, you know, how to keep the meetings pure, quote unquote. And then OA, I wrote, um, you know, the different experiences with the disease, how to deal with disruptive members. That was kind of, you know, interesting. Group autonomy and unity with diversity. Just again, like the different approach of the experience over time. I can't hear you, Megan. Oh, oh, there you are. Oh, uh, I was gonna say OA has Unity Day. And as far as I know, the other fellowships don't have oh, any. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so any last thoughts on, on our tradition three? Please. I have underlined uh, in the OA 12 and 12, the purpose of tradition three is to ensure that the road will always be accessible to all those who wish to travel it. And that just reminded me of, of the previous, traditions and that like our primary purpose is to make sure this program is available to anyone who yeah. wants it yeah you know or anyone who does it let's yeah <laughs> our common welfare should come first personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity that's one you know whatever the other first tradition, but it's kind of like, I think one of you was talking about how there's the first tradition and then all the other traditions are about really supporting that, how you can maintain that first tradition. Mm, so. Yeah. And that in order to maintain the first tradition, we can't right. exclude anyone yeah. permanently from the groups. Yeah. Right. And there's a part of it that says the key point is the room the reminder that any member is allowed to share his or her experience, strength, and hope in meetings, regardless of the individual approach or mm -hmm. specific concept the member may follow. So I think that also, like, um, it's, you know, yeah. someone comes in and has this uh, non-traditional yeah. view of what, how to work a program, if it's working for them, maybe there's someone else in the room who needs to hear that this there's a different ways to do it. Yeah, and it's a lot. Of, I've I've been in meetings where people are just like, you know, yeah. 
turn off her microphone. Don't let her share that. Or, <laughs> you know, that kind of like, uh, you know what, just yeah. share yours, share your strength and yeah. maybe somebody else will share theirs. So I was in a meeting where a relative newcomer shared about their fasting virtual. <laughs> like, oh my God. God I know. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. 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 That's well, depending on what me kind of meaning it is, someone will pull them aside after and say, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a trigger. Yeah. So well, also it makes me think about how um in early recovery, a woman asked me to sponsor her. And I had no bulimia experience yet that I was conscious of. And she had the ability to spit up her food and chew it again and fall into. And I was like, and also she was normal size, you know, she was, you know, and I just did not think it was a big deal. I was like, what, you know, because I had no attachment to it, no experience of it, no whatever. And so eventually we stopped working together because I was not supporting her because I didn't recognize the feelings behind what she was doing and how she felt about it. To me, I was like, honey, you know, you're zero pounds overweight. What, you know, what are you worried about? So, and again, this was early, early recovery. So I guess for reiteration on closing thing is that, you know, AA was really looking at, um, you know, it's almost like black and white and OA because part of OA's disease is a process addiction as well as an obsessive compulsive disorder. And that it's like going from black and white to um, a, a color wheel, like a you know 360 degree color wheel and how to create a tradition and speak to a tradition around that. And so I'm just very grateful. And the, and the color wheel includes different spiritual beliefs, different cultural backgrounds, different sexual orientations, different religion, all of that. And I'm just um, really grateful that we have a more, more up-to-date and the a ACA, I think is even more. Yeah. Um, Cause it was written even after the OA, like, so. Mm -hmm. All right. Any goodbyes, any last final thoughts, any shout outs you want to give? Me a <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess I just wanted to say a little bit more about the talk that we listened yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was talking about how, you know, you self-identify, you, you come to a meeting, you listen to people talk. And what it comes down to, he said, is I identify with you. This is my home. This is my life. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, um, the whole part about carrying the message, right? Mm -hmm. What it was like, what happened and what it's like now that, that what it was like, I, cause a lot of times I kind of skim over the, what it was like part. Like I don't talk about my mm -hmm. compulsive food behaviors. Cause frankly, I learned a lot of them by reading books mm -hmm. of that were supposed to be helping people. And uh, so I try not to do that. So I talk about the feelings behind it, like mm -hmm. the stuff I was trying to do anyway. Um, but that, to remember to, to share what we think about what we share at meetings so that someone feels that 
that this mm -hmm. is the one place I finally feel hundred percent accepted, like the only place. Right. Um, and then at the end, I think it was the end he was, you know, about the, the purpose is to make sure that the, the road is open for those who want to follow it. That, that line that we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote this down. He, this is what he said, do yourself a favor, help the alcoholic. When he walks through that door, give him the same chance that you have been given. And at the time he was, uh, let them identify and give them a chance to recover. And he, he was also talking about how, you know, these, he called them do-gooders. Like, why can't we help someone who's addicted to drugs? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and his point was, how are you helping by giving advice on something you know nothing about? Mm -hmm. And so his point was, if you, you know, someone comes in, they're talking to you and they have a problem that you don't have, have the numbers, have the, and he listed all, you know, right. NA and OA and have the numbers ready. And if, if someone comes to you and has an issue that you've never dealt with, Mm -hmm. say, I don't know, but I'm going to help you find someone who does or, and, and I do that. If there's someone like I have a God squad yeah. because there's no one person in program who has all the experiences that can help me in different areas. And so if I'm having a PTSD episode, I call this right. person. And if, you know, if I need to talk about my relationship with my mom, I call this other person. And, and it's, it's important, I think, to after they identify to then help yeah not you know yeah help me i know <laughs> you know any thoughts yeah i was just thinking about the importance of the identification piece and in aca actually in particular and i think there's a line in the introduction in aca of like when people talk about their experiences as children, we believe them because it is true for them. Mm -hmm. And that I just sort of, we, we haven't really covered mm -hmm. ACA in this podcast, but that that is particularly, this tradition is particularly important in that fellowship because everything we're processing through in that fellowship is all from our own memory. And it's yeah. really, really important to be, um, believed and to have no gatekeepers. And I guess, Nicole, you, I've shared this with you before, but I definitely had the experience in ACA that maybe I didn't belong there at first when I wasn't yeah. ready to be doing that program. And just that, yeah, no one could tell me, you know, what, what kind of abuse was actually, yeah. or neglect was, you know, and that everyone has different experiences um, yeah. right. in that fellowship but there's yeah. still commonality. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of that compare despair, you know? And I think in my experience keeps people in relationships longer than they need to be in them because, oh, this person had so much more worse than I did. I should be able to stick this out. This is easy compared to that. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up with bruising. This person's not bruising me. So it's, it, it's not as bad as it was then. Right. So it's just, I agree that it's the individual experience trauma, regardless of if you think if that happened, that happened to me and it, nothing, you know, nothing right. happened to me. And, and it's, it's the individual experience. If, if it traumatized me, then that's right. all 
that's that's the only criteria there is and that's why again what i love about this tradition is is that ownership is given completely to the person you know not the group so the person decides you know if they are a member or not no one no one has the authority to determine that if you say you're a member you know then you are um even if at the time you're unsure if you are doesn't matter you know right. And then or if you're not ready to do the work, it right. You're not ready. Yeah. That, that's all it means. Yeah, exactly. All right, you guys. Well, I'm really enjoying this. Um, you know, Alice, I love you talking about the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let me go Back ahead. When we have dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, when I was in OA, I walked in in 1998, which is true, but I just, whatever. Um, oh, you were in Santa Clara, right? Or Santa, mm -hmm. yeah, I yeah. was in Oakland. So, oh. you know, ah. where were you, Megan? Your first OA? FF. Oh, San Francisco? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bay Area in the house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't realize we were all ex Bay Yeah. <laughs> Because right. in Oregon, you don't tell people you came from California. I know. I know. Okay. You know, I'll edit this part out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't. You know, I won't. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to us. Um, it gives Bye. us an opportunity to study it and have conversation about it. And so for that, we're grateful. Thank you.